Welcome out, Victory family. Who's excited to be here worshiping together in the house? I'm excited to see y'all's beautiful faces. If you don't know me, I am Chad. I am the associate campus pastor here at Victory Hamilton Mill. I am the younger, more aerodynamic version of Pastor Chris. It's crazy. If I stick my head out the window in the car, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Hey, uh, I'm excited to be bringing the word today. We're going to continue on in this kind of vein and series of Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know this, we've been in the uh, book of Matthew, really chapter 5, since February of this year. It's insane. Deep dive for us here at Victory. And I'm excited because this is like this manifesto of Jesus about how to live life, and he's preaching to the masses. And it's just a very fitting message for all of us to understand who God's called us to be in the life that he's called us to live. So we're gonna continue on in that vein today. And last week we had the pleasure of having uh, Pastor Dan Leanne with us. And man, he's so cool, isn't he? So cool. And he was talking about fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. But I'm here today to talk about who you should be fighting against. I know you said like, fight the good fight. You're like, all right, let's go. Like, I'm ready. Let's do this. But before you start swinging, let's talk about who we are actually supposed to fight for and who we're actually supposed to fight here with our lives here on the earth. Now, I know um, this weekend's a little different because it is Memorial Day weekend, and I want you to kind of, if you can, take the filter off of Memorial Day and war and politics and all these things as we talk about this message. That's not what this message is about. This message is about God's heart to you and the life that he's called you to live here on the earth. So we're talking about loving your enemies. And I was talking to one of my friends yesterday, and she was like, oh, Chad, it's so funny. Every time you talk, it's like about kindness and about thankfulness. And now you get to talk about loving your enemy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not funny. God's trying to tell me something. Like he's doing a work in me and he's doing a work in us, but it starts with me. And this, uh, this week's been a journey as I've been preparing this message, but I'm excited to bring it to you guys. But I wanna start with a couple of questions, two questions, in fact. What do you do when somebody is your enemy? And what do you do when someone hurts you? And I know already in your heart and your mind, like you're stirring up. Like you've already got a scenario. You already have the situation. It was in traffic or it's at the grocery store or it's with a family member and you were yelling at each other and you wanted to get the last word or maybe you did or maybe you've been thinking about it and playing in your, in your mind. The scenario's 18 different ways. As all that's building up in your heart right now, we're gonna pray that God speaks to us in these moments and also that our heart is opened to what he is gonna to say to each and every one of us today. Y'all ready for that? Let's pray together. God, I thank you that through worship, we magnified who you are. We pressed in. We realized that our life is filled with your favor. God, that you're a powerful God, worth serving. You're the true God. So right now, I pray that in these moments, open our hearts, God, to receive what you're gonna say. Help us to be changed forever because of your truth that resonates in our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen, amen. 
Hey guys, um, I was born in this small town, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the deep south. I like to call it the armpit of America. It's that sweaty down there, it is pretty crazy. And uh, I grew up down there, I was born there, and uh, first seven years of my life I was there, and I have an older sister, and my dad worked at a church, a big Assemblies of God church down there. He played guitar uh, for this pastor and for this church. And he loved it, and we loved it. And at the church, they had a private school. Now, don't get it twisted. We were not rich. We had zero money. But because my dad worked at the church, we got this discount. We got to go to this private school. And me and my sister, I love this, we, we had this uh, playtime or recess time every single day. And I'm saying this because my sister's a little bit older. She's four years older than me. And they had separate um, playgrounds for different age groups. So there was a playground for the big kids on one side that had like the massive slides. It looked like an amusement park. And then on, on the smaller side, which is the side that I got to play on, was like three swings in like a merry-go-round that didn't even rotate the right way. And uh, during this time in my life, I had some uh, acquaintances, some friends at, at, at that school. Uh, we had this specific young man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him Damien for the purposes of this story. He, uh, he was a lively child. He, he was all about play, all about fun. He was very excited. Uh, his mother cut his hair by putting a bowl on it and cutting around the sides. He had that kind of haircut. It was really hard to get him to focus on things. He was just, he was kind of wild, kind of wild. And I love playing with him. He was wild. We got to be out there playing on the playground. And he would get so worked up in these moments. Uh, he would be so excited. He would just grab my arm and bite it. Like that was like his like outlet to like get the excitement out was just to find something close and to bite it. Now, this happened week after week for quite a while. I'd come home, you know, like showing the things like my battle wounds, you know, from the day in the, in the rece in re recess and I'd come home and show my mom. And after a while, I went to my mom and my mom said, what? What do you think my mom said to me? Sister, you ain't lying. My mom said, bite him back. So about three days later, you know, I'm minding my business on one of the three swings that we had, swinging along, and my, my friend came over, and man, he wanted to swing, and I had the swing. He was really excited about it, so he decided he would grab my arm, bite it, to uh, tell me that he needed to use the swing worse than I did in that moment. And so I, in turn, thinking back at the wisdom of my mother, took his arm and I bit his arm. Now, I didn't just bite it, like, I was trying to make a statement. Anybody with me? <laughs> this is not just like, ow, this is what this feels like, it was like, Al, this is what this feels like. Don't ever do it again. And I bit in. I went a little too deep. Blood was drawn. I was, I was a vampire that day. Got in trouble. Went home. Had to have a whole conversation. But I was all about letting him know, you've gone too far. You can't do this ever again. And I was in this vein of eye for an eye. Eye for an eye tooth for a tooth, bite for a bite. That's where I took it. I took it even further. 
And so we're gonna talk about revenge. We're gonna get into some scripture here in a second. This is what Jesus is talking about. And I think this is something all of us could get something out of today. Maybe we shouldn't be biting back. Maybe that wasn't the right way to handle it. Man, it felt good in the moment. But maybe it wasn't the right way to handle it. So I wanna dive into some scripture. And if you got your Bible or your digital device, we're gonna be in Matthew 5, where we have been. I'm gonna be reading uh, out of verse 38, starting at verse 38 to 42, right here. This is Jesus talking to the masses. He says this. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, there's some multiple things that are happening in this scripture. I wanna kind of break it down for you guys. Jesus is trying to compare something in scripture. And and when he talks about you've heard it said, what he's doing is he's pointing back to old Levitical law. This is the law that Moses handed the Israelites. These are the standards that they were to live by. So he's pointing back to this law. But there's a difference that he's trying to kind of get them to understand and correlate. There's the letter of the law, which is literally the printed words the way you would read it, just verbatim, that's what it is. But what Jesus was trying to get him to understand is there's actually a heart to the law. There's something further that he's trying to get you to understand in those moments. See, Jesus is honoring that, that letter of the law, but he's like, this is what it really means. So the letter of the law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The spirit of the law says bring peace to the situation. And I'm like, you're already like, I, you lost me. But he's trying, he's saying bring shalom, peace, into that scenario. In the midst of pain and abuse and tragedy and trials, bring peace. So eye for an eye. That's actually not a statement for the other person. I think when we think about it, we're like, well, you need to tell that person. If you come at me, bro, I'm gonna come at you. You slap me, I'm gonna slap you. It's something for them. Actually, the statement's for us. The statement's built as a throttling back of anger, of frustration, of our reaction towards others. It's been of a throttling for us, not a warning or a demand or command for others. So this is an anti-culture of revenge that he's trying to build. We're trying to kill this revenge cycle as believers. And this is a, uh, let's make it kind of modern. This is an anti-John Wick theology. Now those of you who laughed, I'll be praying for you. But the John Wick theology says, you killed my dog, I'ma murder everybody in this room. You're all gone. But that's not what God is trying to say. That's not what Jesus is explaining in these moments. It's to tame the heart, to diffuse revenge, to diffuse the escalation of violence, starting with us, 
So let's break it down. The Old Testament, why did, we, why did the Israelites need laws? Why do we need laws? Well, because in that time, it was very barbaric. The world was kind of crazy. If, uh, if you had a vineyard and somebody wanted that vineyard and your wife and your servants, they would just come up to you. They would squat up with their homies, come out to your house, hit you, kill you, take your property. That was okay. It was the law of the biggest stick. Who had the biggest stick? They were the person that had whatever they wanted. But God was trying to give the Israelites a set of standards to live by that separated them from the culture of the rest of the world. That's where this started. But then we see Jesus in the New Testament take a little bit step further, and we see him talking about it, but we also see him living it out. So he's not just saying this is what it was. He's saying this is what the law says, but this is how you live it. So let's break down. There's kind of three cultural levels in this scripture we just read in Matthew 5, talking about the cheek, the shirt, and the mile. This is so deep, and I'm about to like rock y'all's world with this. It's so cool. The cheek, when he talks about when someone slaps you on the right cheek, cheek turn and give them the other cheek. What he's referring to is that is an, uh, you're in intimate space with that person. You're not gonna be within range to slap somebody unless you know them. You are in relationship with these people. This is actually meant for the Jews that were dealing with other Jews. You're in relationship with these people. They're part of your family. They're part of your cultural family. This is how you deal with these people. They slap you, turn the cheek. And what actually it means is what, how they slapped, they wouldn't slap like this. It wasn't like, psh. They slapped like this. It was backhanded, like the ultimate disrespect. <laughs> so they slapped them, and that person, boom, would turn. Now, the cultural reaction would be turn and go away. Out of shame, anger, disrespect, whatever you wanted to do. What he was actually calling them to do was to turn back to that person and engage that person. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the countercultural way that Jesus was telling us to live our lives. Now, if we go to the shirt, I talked about if someone takes you to court and sues you for your shirt, give them your coat also. There's two crazy things about this. That really is talking to the Jews and their neighbors, the people that they were in vicinity, close to vicinity with, doing life with. Not intimate relationship, but people that were in their community. He was telling them how to treat those people in their community. Because those are the people that if you owned a business and you had a disagreement in business, you would go to the court, right? And you would, they would figure it out and settle it for you. But what he's actually getting them to understand is, man, the shirt for them was actually their underwear. Their coat was their outer garment that they wore. So what he's saying is, if they're suing you for your shirt, your underwear, which, I mean, come on, for real. You don't want my underwear, bro. <laughs> like, I'll give you the coat. But what he's saying is, like, if they're coming at you for your underwear, take your coat off and give them both. Which at that point would actually made you completely naked in their sight. But he's saying, give it all for your neighbor. And then we get to the mile. If a, if a Roman soldier asks you to take his pack for a mile, take it for two. Now, there's a lot going on there, and if you know that time, the first century Jews, 
Rome had come in and the empire had come in and taken over everything. It was kind of like martial law. There were little sections of soldiers all throughout the town regulating everything that was happening. And as those soldiers were coming and going, doing their different assignments, if you were a Jew in that area and you just happened to be around them and that soldier was tired, he would say, take my pack and follow me. Take it wherever I'm going. And that Jew would have to take that pack, follow behind the soldier until that soldier was ready to get it back from him. Now what God is speaking to in that moment is this is the Jews and their enemies this isn't an intimate person they have a relationship with. This isn't somebody that they're in vicinity of, that they're doing business with. This is something they, somebody they want nothing to do with. Somebody that have not re- invited into their life, somebody they don't care about, somebody that is on the outside of them culturally. He's saying, this is how you deal with these people. They ask you to do one mile, you do two. So God's speaking to intimate relationships, people in your close vicinity of life, and your immediate enemies, the people that you would not call anybody close to you, people that you don't care about, the people you probably hate culturally. But we are called to love our enemies. Let you just soak into that one for a second. <laughs> Let's dive into scripture again, Matthew 5, verse 43. This is gonna be Jesus talking about loving your enemies. Verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm gonna come back to that in a second. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will act as true children, sorry, be acting as as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans did that. That statement, hate your enemy, that's actually something very unique. He's actually making a anti-cultural statement again. If you dive into that, uh, that text, that statement, hate your enemy, actually doesn't exist in the law. If you go back to Leviticus where he's drawing from, because when he says, you've heard it said, he's pointing back, you know? But if you go back to that, hate your enemy actually isn't even in that text, in that law at all. That's actually a cultural statement that had been developed by the Israelites, by the Jews over time, as they were taking over the promised land, uh, in that culture, in that time, anybody that wasn't a Jew was an enemy. God was like, if they're not you, they're, they're bad. But they took that and they made it literal for everyone moving forward throughout history. So they just took a cultural statement that they developed and said, well, if they're not us, they are the enemy, so that's what it is. But Jesus is saying, that's not true at all. You've heard it said, but that's not true. So Jesus is dispelling a cultural statement that wasn't even God-given, that was actually a law that people live by. And then he takes it a step further. He says, love those, pray for those, going beyond. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. We are called to be like our Father. 
Now, I know you're thinking, well, if I think about the Father, I think about Old Testament. If I think about Old Testament, man, some pretty crazy things happened. A lot of people died. But if you go back to this scripture, and I love this, uh, I, have, I have this thought. Um, I don't know if you do this on my phone. I have an Apple device. I'm not gonna do what Pastor Dan did last week and ostracize you if you have an Android device in the room. It's okay. But on, on my Apple device, uh, I, I have this weather app and I like to like keep up with weather in different areas, like different locations. It kind of makes me depressed sometimes, you know, because there's like sunshine in there and it's not here. But uh, if you pulled up, I, I have four different locations that uh, I have on my weather app. And there it is. I did this on Thursday, so it's not today, but it's pretty close. There's Buford. What a beautiful name for a city. 80 degrees. Sunshine. Now we know that that changes every other day. It's okay. That's We're here in, in, in Georgia. And then if you look at Dallas, uh, that's where I lived for 15 years. My mom still lives in that area. A little bit of rain there, a little bit of rain, but sunshine and rain. And then right there, my little haven, my little Jesus place, Oahu, Hawaii. It's raining there, and it made me feel good when I looked at it because I was like, yeah, take that, Hawaii. You're not always perfect. But if you look like literally two hours later, it's 75 degrees for the rest of the day, and I was upset about that one. Then you look at Santa Rosa Beach. That's our close little getaway. We were just down the area last weekend. Man, sunshine, white sand, turquoise water. Come on, Jesus. But if you look up there, it is sunshine and rain, sunshine and rain in every location. You don't see on there uh, torrential uh, hail the size of footballs raining down on the unjust. You don't see a flood of the world that's taking over every single one of those screens. All flood, all water, we're all gonna die. None of that is in there because God is actually giving sunshine and rain to the just and the unjust, to his enemies and to his children. See, back in the day, sunshine and rain meant everything. That was your crops, that was your harvest. You made your living by planting and sowing and reaping. And what he's saying is, God loves everybody, even his enemy. He gives them, he gives them sunshine and rain every single day. And that's what we're called to do. Show our enemies love. Now, do you actually truly believe that in the room? Probably like two-thirds, maybe. But I'm gonna prove it to you. This is God's love for us, right here in Romans 5, 6 through 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That word sinners is hemartalos, especially wicked. He died for us when we were especially wicked. Now, most people would not die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his, four people are paying attention, enemies. While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ made us friends 
of God. While we were enemies, God sent his son to die for us. That's love. He's sending sun and rain on the just and the unjust every single day. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. That's love. Do we deserve sun and rain? Do y'all? I don't deserve it all the time, that's for sure. But he gives it to the just and the unjust every single day. Now, this may seem impossible, but I want to give you some, some hope here to balance all of this. There is a righteous judge in heaven, absolutely. And every man, meaning men and women, will receive judgment based on their actions one day. That is absolutely biblical. But it is not our job to be judge, jury, and executioner in people's lives. So where have we seen this love work before? I got three opportunities for us to kind of see how it's been lived out. The first is Peter. Peter lived his life with Christ. Peter was this street brawler, man, sword-wielding, ear-chopping thug. He was this, I mean, he was a thug back in the day. They make him look all sweet, you know, with his robe on and all these different things, you know, depictions. This guy was rough around the edges. And in the beginning, he cared nothing about anybody but the Jew. He was all about the Messiah coming, the Jews getting the kingdom back, let's roll, let's do this. That was his whole life. But if you read his, his letters and his ministry later on, about two decades into his ministry, man, his tune changed quite a bit. Let's read it together in 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay, instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. It's a very justifying statement. He's saying a lot there. But he's also saying, fight for love. Fight for unity. Let me move on to Paul. I know y'all know Paul's story. Saul converted to Paul. This guy was pretty wild too. He had devoted his life to ending Jesus' ministry. There was this ministry Jesus started. It was called The Way. A little Mandalorian plug there. He called, they called it the way. It was just the way. So whoever practiced the way was an enemy of Saul. Dedicated his whole life to it. He was, he was good, man. He was, he was sniffing them out. You know, out of their private gatherings, he was sniffing them out, and he was getting his goons to come in and take care of them. Like, that's what he did. That's the life that he started living, and he felt he was righteous in all of it. But then we have this amazing conversion time where he's on the road on his horse, God strikes him off his horse, blinds him, and Jesus talks to him directly. Now, this is cool because Jesus had already died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and Jesus is talking directly to Paul in this moment. 
Saul at the time. And he's like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus, you're persecuting me. Saul has this massive conversion, completely changes his life for Jesus, starts preaching the gospel and the way, and he says this later in his ministry, right here in Romans 12, 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Well, that sounds different. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I'm gonna say this. I know when y'all heard heaping burning coals on their head, you were like, yeah, baby. I'm gonna give them them coals. But God's not calling us to do that. That's not our work. We're called to love. We're called to reconcile. Let God worry about the coals, okay? You heard it here. So can this work in the real world though? We, you're like, man, you're telling me stories that are like thousands of years old. Like that can't work in modern day. That's something that God was doing then, he ain't doing it now. I got one for you. Reverend Martin Luther King dedicated his life to a purpose that was God-given to him. He had this righteous given desire to see reconciliation for people to know their value in the way that God created them. In his I Have a Dream speech, which is actually a sermon by the way, he was talking about we are all created equal. He was actually talking about unifying man into one body, which is actually scriptural, you read that. And he dedicated his life to this cause and he dedicated everything to it. He gave everything to it, including his life. He believed in it so much, he gave it all. And look at where we are now in society because of his work, because of what God was doing through him. Now, he was ostracized on both sides. The people that he was around was like, nope, nope, love is not the answer. War is the answer. That's what gets things done. And he was like, no, that's not what I read. That's not what I see. And the other side was, you have no value, stay on your side of the train tracks. We'll do us, y'all do you, but you have no value to society. And he's saying, there's a better way. There's a Christ way, and it costs them everything. So how do we go beyond this eye for an eye, the letter of the law, and get to the spirit of the law, which is peace? And actually, the word is shalom, which is a perfect peace. Well, there's only one way we can actually do that, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Me and you, the way we were designed in our own, we are very, very selfish people. It's just the nature of how we were made. Survival, what can I get? It's all about me. But we're called to love others and walk in peace with them. We have to be bearers of peace wherever we go. So I wanna read this. This is actually, it's funny because today is Pentecost Sunday. 
I didn't even realize that when I was writing the message this week. And I, I put in uh, Acts 2, which is actually that part of Scripture talking about Pentecost. Now, Pastor Jeremy talked about it earlier, how the Holy Spirit ascended on the disciples and those that were gathered. And all these amazing things started happening. But see, what was happening in that moment, actually, Peter was there with the disciples and other believers, but then there's a whole crowd of people that came up, heard all kinds of noise and crazy things happening, and they were like, y'all are crazy. Be quiet. You bunch of drunkards, stop what you're doing. You're bringing shame to our people. And Peter says this to everybody that's gathered and those that were trying to stop it. He says in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on the servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. And that rocked the world of those people that were coming to persecute. And right here in verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Talk about the people that were trying to stop it. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away all who have been called by the Lord our God. He's talking about us in this room. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So my prayer is this, that we let God's word pierce our heart today. That when we leave here today, we leave different than when we came. Walking lives of shalom, being true reflections of the image of Christ to those that we come in contact with. So I've got three points real quick. We're gonna close out. What is this love and how do we, or why do we choose love over hate? Well, first, love resists retaliation. Love resists retaliation. In our common day and age, there are two options when it comes to conflict. Fight or flight, baby. You gonna fight or are you gonna fly? But Jesus is actually talking about a third option. He's saying, don't fight, don't leave, engage. Right there in Matthew 5, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This isn't a strike back, this isn't a run away, this is engage in godly love. And uh, one of my favorite authors, John Orberg, man, if you need a book to read, Soul Keeping, John Orberg, best book I've read in like three years, it's phenomenal. He says this, he calls this kind of, kind of love spiritual greatness in the divine conspiracy of sacrificial love. I'm gonna say that again so you can get it spiritual greatness in the divine conspiracy of sacrificial love. Start a conversation. Get to know that person. Bless them. Help them. Side note, when I met Lori, she didn't like me. That's my wife. She didn't, 
She wasn't feeling it. She was not a fan. Um, and she tried to fly, baby. She tried to fly. She wasn't fighting, but she was flying. And I was engaging. I engaged, and I engaged, and I engaged, and I engaged. And over time, crazy, celebrating 19 years of marriage this year. Come on. As I engaged her, she got to know me. She realized I was not the jerk that she thought I was. <laughs> I was, but she just got to know me better. Um, long story short, here we are, three kids later. So here's the takeaway, though. It's not that we're trying to be friends with people. Now, that, that worked for me. Thank God it worked for me. The outcome isn't to, you know, an enemy's coming at you and you're like, let's be friends, and they're slapping you across the face. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is loving others in obedience to God. Not for just their benefit, but our, for our benefit as well. There's something that happens to us when we lay aside all of our rights and love others unconditionally to the best of our ability. Point two, love repays evil with kindness. Now I know we live in this world, oh, you know, people are hard. Life's hard. I mean, it's just, we got these media, social media warriors on here with their keyboards. I mean, they're typing away, baby. They are just zing. I mean, they're trying to get you. Hateful things online. Cancel culture. I mean, people are like, no, no, you don't agree with me, so you're gone. You're out. I completely, you're out of my life. I'm not going to put you in. Man, is that biblical? Has God called us to push people out of our lives because they don't agree with us on something? I don't think so. God's called us to be reconciled to one another, to be one body. Now, I know you're thinking this. Hold on, Chad, this doesn't cover everything. What about self-defense? What if somebody comes at me? What if I'm, I, I accidentally kill somebody to save someone else's life? Uh, what, what if a home invasion or a home invader comes to my home after my kids? What about military war? What about law enforcement? What about government laws that endorse things like the death penalty? What about early church history in the Old Testament where we see tons of people dying? Yes, those are all very hard topics that would take a lot of conversations to talk through. But regardless of the political and cultural landscape that we live in, we can all agree that we are called to love our enemies. That's who God's called us to be. Third point, love receives a reward. I'm gonna to talk to you about Jesus' love, and we're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna read it to you, and I'm gonna talk about Jesus' reward. It greatly impacts and affects every single one of us in this room. And for us to have the heart of Jesus, I think it's good for us to hear about him, learn about him, and know him intimately. So let's jump into it. This is a re reflection of Jesus' love for us. Isaiah 53, 
starting at verse three. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, and he had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. That's Jesus' love. Now I'm going to talk to you about his reward. I'm trying not to get emotional. Oh. Isaiah 53, 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Because what Jesus did, because of his love for us, we can be counted righteous. What a love. What a love. Jesus' love was selfless. Jesus' love cost him everything. And he's calling us to be like him. And to love in ways that don't seem possible, regardless of the outcome. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. So I want you to close your eyes. Let's just take a moment. I don't know what's racing through your mind, what's going on. Let's just dive in together for a few more moments here. I'm gonna ask you two questions. I want you to be honest with yourself and honest with God in this moment. Who are your enemies? Let a face come to mind. Put some skin on it. And what are you doing to turn them into a friend? You may not even understand or know what the next step is. You may be so frustrated, so hurt, so angry that you don't even know what to do next. You don't even know what the first step would be. The first step is prayer, taking it to God and hearing what he's telling you. He's speaking now.
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we should see clearly that it takes a new man to live this kind of life. This is no theory for the world or for the non-Christian. No man can hope to live like this unless he is born again, unless he has received the Holy Spirit. So with your eyes closed, maybe you're thinking there ain't no chance I can live this kind of life with where I am right now. There's no chance, I have no, I don't, the strength isn't in me to live this kind of life. I have good news for you. The Holy Spirit can empower you to live this life. So if that's you this morning, if you are honest with yourself and you know you can't do it on your own and you know you need Jesus in your life to do that and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you to live the life of love to your enemies that you need to live, I want you to pray with me. Make your own words in this moment, but God, I thank you that you loved me when I was your enemy. I didn't deserve it. But thank you. Holy Spirit, empower me to live this life of love. to be a different person than who I was when I came in. Help me live in this life of shalom with my enemies, with everyone. I can only do it through your power. And you may be thinking through this message, man, I believe in God, the concept of God, but I feel like I'm so far away from it in this moment, being able to do any of the things that I heard today. Maybe it's time for you to stop believing and give God lordship, control of your life, truly setting aside your agenda, what you want to achieve, and asking God to do what he wants to do in your life. And if that's you, and you wanna make God Lord, repeat after me. Let's all repeat together. Say, God, you are Lord. I can't do this without you. So right now, I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. And I declare Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I will listen to you. I will obey you. I give you full control. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys.